That song, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful, that is that is a timely song because that's really what uh, I would say that we have been studying all along in Exodus. Of course, you could say that in any passage, couldn't you? But this tabernacle is expressing the very beauty, the very glory of God. And He's been giving instructions about uh, the tabernacle, how to... Uh, be ready for it and how to make it. Uh, this is the place that God designed so that He could dwell among His people. We could worship Him. Now I say we, of course it was the Israelites, but that was an opening of the door so that people could come closer to see the glory of God as they worship Him. Now we've seen that there are constant reminders all throughout the tabernacle of atonement. You see it just written all over the place in, in these pictures and these um, uh, sacrifices and offerings are to be perpetually continued every day. So you couldn't miss it. There had to be a, a, an atoning. Then we've looked at there had to be a cleansing, a cleansing of the priests. And as they put on uh, those clothes to go about their daily service every day, they had to be consecrated. Then we find out everything in the tabernacle had to be consecrated. It's all holy to the Lord. Everything that was to be used, even the anointing oil and the incense, all the furniture there. So we see there are details in here that uh, I think are rather incredible because they bring out the fact that there's a fulfillment that Christ does even in these detailed matters. And so we want to see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. It was pointing to Christ. He hadn't yet come, but that's really what that was looking to. And of course, we can look back and say that's, that's representing Christ, this tabernacle. He tabernacled among them, didn't He? So we have now come to the last chapter of this section of instructions. It's going to end... And we'll go into another part as he's been dealing with true worship. We're going to go into chapter 32 after Resurrection Day and and start up a section that is false worship. After they had been given instructions and had the tabernacle uh, for the instructions, actually they are just getting the instructions, but we'll see that there is a uh, false worship of the people uh, of God. So, um, God is going to have to choose people to make these things. Have you thought about that? As you think about um, the whole tabernacle, the tent, and all the articles that are in there, and the lampstand, and the altars and such are going to have to be made. Well, God is going to choose particular men to do this job who have already been gifted to do this kind of matter. He's going to choose the best there is. Because that's what he's done all along, hasn't he? He has chosen the best materials, the gold and the silver and the bronze, the finest of the fabrics, the fragrant aromas were the best in the world. I mean, everything there God chose. And we see that God is the master designer. But he's going to have people design these things, but he's already made the... uh, the instructions or patterns. I remember uh, way back when, I think they still have it, like at Walmarts and different places, my mom would go and pick up uh, things of a fabric and then they'd have the instructions to, to go along with that, right? 
What do you call that? Patterns. Is that it? Okay, that's the word. Patterns. All right. <laughs> but she was going off of what uh, was to be done. Uh, but she's the one that puts it together, but yet somebody had already designed how that was supposed to be. Well, this is the creator of the universe who's making this tabernacle. This is the creator of the universe who's making this tabernacle. Whenever he made the universe, he made it perfect without flaw, didn't he? It was good. Well, when he makes a tabernacle, he's going to make it perfect. And so he has to have these people. You know, really, the, uh, the tabernacle is a microcosm of the universe. The tabernacle represents what the whole universe is. And, and we're going to get into that on, on our first point today here in the first 11 verses. Well, we're going to read through that, but we're going to see the intricacies here of this grand creation and, and how people could actually understand creation even by looking at the tabernacle. What a teaching tool God gave. So, as we look at this passage, we will go back to Genesis quite frequently and look at creation. And we'll see how this correlates uh, creation and tabernacle. They parallel very well. Uh, In fact, this building project is really another act of creation. You say, well, how do you get that? Well, let's read the first 11 verses. And uh, let's see what God has for us here. I like the first verse. Then the Lord spoke. You like that? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, indeed, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle, the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver and its base, the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments of his sons to minister as priest and the anointing oil and sweet incense for the holy place according to all that I have commanded you they shall do. We started this section in chapter 25. We have seen the instructions and now we get to the point where people have to make it. You kind of forget about that. Okay, here's what you're supposed to have. And boom, it just comes together, right? No, God uses people. He uses people as means to get to the end. To get things done, He uses people. He doesn't have to. He could have just made that magically disappear right there on the floor of the desert. He could have done that, could he? No problem. He could have spoke just like He did in creation, but no, He's going to involve man in this. I think there's something to be said in that because that's what He's doing with us today. He's involving us in His service, in His ministry, this Creator. You think that's something? Why would He do that? Because He wants to. He wants us to get involved. 
Go back to Psalm 78. Let's start looking at the possibility of a connection between the tabernacle and the creation. Let's see if we can get some kind of proof out of this. Or are we just reading into the text? You say, how can you find that in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 31? Have you noticed as he's, he's using the best of all the materials, this place had to be beautiful, glorious, especially to the ones who got to go inside. But even at that, even on the outside, it was a glorious thing. Now in Psalm 78, verse 69, this is a long chapter, by the way. And he built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth, which he established forever. So he's talking about he built the sanctuary like the heights and like the earth. He built the sanctuary like that. Like the creation. The heavens and the earth. We've been speaking about that lately, haven't we? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. He's a designer. The two words uh, that are going around today are intelligent design. The intelligent design is God. But they sometimes have to use those words because God would offend all those great teachers that we have in all of our great schools out there. (laughs) But intelligent design means there had to be somebody of intelligence to make this grand creation. Verse 22 says, It is He who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Did you catch some things there? He's the Creator. He's above the earth. He's in the heavens. By the way, that word for circle is also sphere in Hebrew. The sphere it's talking about the earth is a sphere. Scientifically, that is correct, isn't it? A little bit of science right there. But. And we see that He stretches out the heavens. So He's talking about the heavens and He's above and then He spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. And of course, He's going to come down and dwell in that tent with the, uh, the Israelites. So how can we say that verses 1-11 through in our chapter 31 is similar as we look at the individuals that he picks to make all these things? Well, for one thing, starting at verse 12, you're going to see something dealing with creation on through the next few verses in our Exodus. But it's interesting to note that throughout the chapters of 25-31, through 31, there are seven days of creation, and the reason I mentioned the Sabbath, which we'll be getting to here in chapter 31, is the seventh day, and he's going to bring that up. You have creation, then you have the seventh day. Well, how do you see seven days here? Did they make the tabernacle in seven days? Uh, it doesn't really say that. But what we do see is in verse 1, Then the Lord spoke. That's one time there. We actually see it two times in this section we're at today. Look at verse 12. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Lord speaking, the Lord saying, right? Lord is saying something, or He can understand. If you look at chapter 25, verse 1, you'll see the first time in this section that it happens. 25 through 31 is our section, right? Okay. In verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, There's one time. Chapter 30, verse 11. I'm reading this right. No, I'm not. Am I right? Okay. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, there's another one, right? Verse 17, same chapter. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. That's whenever they was coming together with the bronze labor. The other one was uh, with the ransom money. Verse 22 Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses. This was dealing with the holy anointing oil. Then we see in verse 34, the incense, and the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices. So the Lord speaking. You know how many times that we have? These are intervals. There are seven times. I think it's just interesting to note that throughout these chapters, the Lord said or the Lord spoke seven times. Different intervals. It reminds us of the six days of creation and then the seventh day of rest. He created on the six days, seventh day rested. As he's doing these first 11 verses that he's mentioning about bringing this tabernacle into being built, then after that, and then he says about the Sabbath. Speaks about the Sabbath again. So they were going to rest whenever um, they were building this, or not to be building it on the Sabbath. He'll mention that later. But. Now, that's just one. There, is, there are seven days of creation, aren't they? We know that. The Holy Spirit was involved at creation, wasn't He? The whole triune God was. We know God the Father. We know the Son is working in that. And the Spirit is. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the Spirit of God was involved in creation. If you look in our Exodus 31, verse 3, And I have filled him, the one who's going to be the uh, craftsman here, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. So as this is being built, he's going to fill one with the Spirit. And that's quite interesting because through the Old Testament, you don't see the filling of the Spirit that often. And we know we're commanded today to be filled with the Spirit. They had the Holy Spirit because how else can one be a believer without the Spirit? But there was a fulfillment of the Holy Spirit whenever He came at Pentecost in, in a more fulfilling way. But... The Holy Spirit has always been there before time. The Holy Spirit plays a key role in creation, plays a key role in the building of the tabernacle because He comes in and fills these men to work with that. Uh, throughout the Old Testament time period, you'll see that David, who was uh, assigned to be the king, was filled with God's Spirit. And he even prayed in Psalm 51, Do not take your Spirit from me, right? Right? 
you had uh, certain prophets, certain individuals who were filled with God's Spirit in a mighty way to, to do a, a mighty work that God had for them to do. So in His uh, creation here of the tabernacle, the Spirit is involved, absolutely. Another one that we get is found in verse 3. I have filled Him with the Spirit of God. The next word is wisdom. I filled Him with, his, uh, with the Spirit of God in wisdom. If you look in verse 6, And I indeed have appointed with him a holy Ab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans. So they'd be able to make this exactly the way that God had ordained. Now let's go to Proverbs chapter 8 and let's see what wisdom had to do with creation. Proverbs chapter 8. Verse 1, just to get the setting here, does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? Okay, now we know we get the topic there. It's wisdom there. That whole chapter is dealing with wisdom. Uh, Go to verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. There he identifies himself as wisdom. Then we look at verse 22. We'll read a few verses here. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way, before His works of old. I have been established from everlasting. From the beginning, before there was ever an earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled. This is all dealing with creation, isn't it? Right? Before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet He had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world, when He prepared the heavens, I was there. When He drew a circle on the face of the deep. When He established the clouds above. When He strengthened the fountains of the deep. When He assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters could not transgress His command. When He marked out the foundations of the earth. All dealing with creation. Now here we go. There I was beside Him as a master craftsman. And I was daily His delight rejoicing always before Him, rejoicing in His inhabited world. And my delight was with the sons of men. Here we have um, God rejoicing over His creation, but the wisdom was right there at His side all the way through as He uh, created this universe. He's going to use master craftsmen to make His tabernacle. They're going to have God's very Spirit in them. And they're going to have the wisdom that was present at creation as they make this tabernacle. Wisdom was there when God created. Uh, Another thing that we talk about here is, is D. The earth and the heavens. And We mentioned this last week. The tabernacle is a microcosm of the universe. What you have in the outer courtyard are people. People bring the sacrifices there and they bring it up to the altar. Then the priests do their work from there. And they serve out in that courtyard. Sacrifices are being burnt. And then they know, we know that they will go into the tent of meeting and that's representing the holy place. 
And that is going in the place where God resides. He's going to be all the way back into the Holy of Holies. But they serve in there. But they also serve in the earth. They're serving God of the heavens. So, And you even have a laver representing water. So you have the earth, you have water, you have the heavens, and then the most holy place where God resides. So you have a microcosm of what the universe is about. Quite incredible what God was doing here. You have the earth, the water, the sky, the lights in the sky as you go into the holy place where you have the golden candlestick and the light is there. We look up in our creation, we see the lights in the sky, the sun, moon, the stars that God put there. Those lights are on all the time in there. Quite incredible. Then there was a filling of the heaven and the earth. It uh, says that uh, Bezalel was filled with God's Spirit. The tabernacle was filled with the presence of God as the anointing oil and the aroma filled the whole place. You remember that? They could smell this all over the tabernacle. That's what we talked about last week. And there are other places where we witness the Spirit of God filling the tabernacle and then also the temple. Go to Jeremiah 23. This is the filling of heaven and earth here. Jeremiah 23, verse 24. Can anyone hide himself in secret places? So I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord. He fills heaven and earth. Go all the way back to Exodus chapter 40. Same book we've been in. It's just ahead of time, isn't it here? So what will happen, according to... As Israelites are concerned, then the Lord covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Boy, is that a great study. The very glory of God filled that tabernacle. And it says in the next verse, Moses wasn't able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's immense. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. This is about the holiness of God here, isn't it? Where they're saying, the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of His glory. That They were in the temple, but here the seraphim are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The whole earth is full of His glory. Just look around. Yeah, we see all the sin that's going on out there, but look at the glory of God. At this time, He came; His presence came into that temple and filled it. In our Exodus 31, verses 7 through 11, here's where we've been talking so much about the beauty, the goodness of God in the tabernacle. Verses 7 through 11, the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat that is on it. 
it mentions all those pieces, doesn't it? All the way through the anointing oil and sweet incense. According to all that I commanded, you shall do. This is about the goodness, the beauty. You couldn't miss it when those fragrances that we talked about last week meant so much as it filled the whole place. It reminded you of God always. The incense was put on every, or the oil was anointed on everything there, and even on the priest and all the furniture. You couldn't miss that heavenly smell. Must have been tremendous. It was the best spices and aromas that could be in all the world that they had gathered together to do that. The beauty of God. Now turn to Genesis chapter two, verse nine. Here's His creation. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every tree has life. It's pleasant to look at. Aren't you thankful for trees? You ever looked at a desert where there are no trees, no bushes, no flowers, just brown, brown everywhere? God could have made our creation like that. I mean, that's where we could be living. And you see some of that in deserts, even in our country. And boy, then you think of the Mideast and just a vast space of desert area there. Makes you wonder why that is, doesn't it? Anyway. It'll all be lush one of these days, like his creation was. He didn't create a uni- uh, this earth to be ugly in any place. But he will be present. He has not abandoned this, uh, this universe, has he? He made everything perfect. He made everything good. He made everything beautiful. Tabernacle, beautiful. Gold, silver. The fabrics. There is shape in the tabernacle. There is order. There is design. There is color. Amazing, isn't it? You have the reds and the purples and just all sorts just in in creation. And then you see all of these same kinds of colors in this tabernacle. Creation is shouting about how glorious it is. And that moves us into the next one. The teaching of creation or the preaching of creation. What it's proclaiming. If we go to Psalm 19.1. I know you were thinking of this, right? can miss this one. The heavens declare. That means they're proclaiming. They're preaching. They're teaching. The glory of God. The heavens are doing that. And the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. God revealed Himself in His creation. God revealed Himself in the tabernacle. 
after all of our studies, would you guys say that you've seen God and His glory in a little more glorious way than you even knew before? Just by looking back at that great model of Christ? Proclaiming. Exodus 29, verse 45 and 46. I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. That's why it's so good and it's beautiful. And that's why you know we'll know He is God by the very teaching and proclaiming of His Word. The teaching and proclaiming of His creation. The teaching and proclaiming of the tabernacle. That they would know that He is God. That He would be amongst them. That meant a lot to them that He was there. Now there's one more. And it's, what, what does this mean? Okay, great. We just grasp some knowledge here. Well, hopefully it will make you concentrate on who God is. We're looking at His attributes and such. We're looking at Him. What does God signify in all of this connection that we've been putting with tabernacle and creation? Well, in Genesis 1-2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. Is without form, without void, darkness there. That means there was nothing there of what we think of today. And God took out of nothing and made this grand universe. In Deuteronomy 32, again, it's in the law, verse 9 and 10, says, For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. Here we go. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Does that help kind of sum up what Exodus is about? Takes them, you know, finds them in the desert, in the desert land. It's a wasteland, it's a wilderness. And then he instructs them in that wilderness and he keeps them all along. The very apple of his eye. A very intimate way of saying that he really cares for them, really loves them. This was a wasteland that they were in. And when they went towards the promised land, they were still in the wasteland. It's a, I think you could say it's a symbolism of chaos and waste. It's a symbolism of what it was before God put together this beautiful earth as we know it. It's a wasteland. The tabernacle appears, first of all, where? Not in the luscious land of Israel by the Jordan River, but out in the desert. And up goes this tent. Out in the desert. It's an oasis in the midst of nothing. Barren wilderness. You know what we see in this? 
we see order, we see beauty in a most horrific place. How would you like to spend a couple of weeks out in the desert? How about, how about a couple of years? Well, how about 40 years? And in one sense, that's what God did. Although He's not bound by a tabernacle made with hands. And we know that He resides in the heavens, but at the same time, His presence is right here too, though, isn't He? So we see the presence that's there, and it brings order in all the vast wasteland and the ugliness that that is there, and it brings beauty into a place that didn't have it. So it, it teaches us what God is doing, but even better, it's teaching us what God is going to do. Now, let's take this into the year 2010. Zoom on into March 28th at this very hour in our own lives. And sometimes it seems like we're in a barren, vast wasteland, a desert. And the more and more the government does all these things, it seems like it's becoming more and more of a waste. And yet the beauty of God resides right here on the earth in people like you. Because you are His tabernacle. He dwells in you. His Spirit comes in and dwells there. You know what this is really teaching? He's going to restore a broken universe. We live in a broken earth full of broken people. We're on a broken stage. Broken actors. But God's going to restore that. Look in Isaiah chapter 35, 1 and 2. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord. The excellency of our God. Do you want to see the excellency of our God? Well, you look in His Word, you see that. But you know it's coming. You know? I guess it's, in a way it's like that song. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming, right? The great resurrection. And, and, but there's going to be a great resurrection of our bodies, of the earth, the heavens. A restoration. That gives us tremendous hope, doesn't it? Truly. I love it. There, there's not going to be any futility anymore. No more emptiness. And that's really what the tabernacle was saying. You could, this is a dwelling place of God. It's a place of beauty. It's an oasis. So we live in a desert of sin, corruption, but therein lies the beauty of God. And He sustains us all day long amidst the turmoil. Do you feel that sustaining that's always there? need to be reminded of that, right? Things aren't going the way that you'd like it to go. May even seem terrible. All sorts of things seem like they're crumbling. And yet, we know truth. Right here. To have it right here in the head. And then make it go to the heart. And then to realize that this is truth. And we are tabernacles 
in a corrupt desert where God is showing His beauty right now. The whole body of Christ is a tabernacle on earth. Because of His work at the cross, the universe will be restored. That's what the tabernacle was a promise about. Now, let's go back to our Exodus 31. We spent most of our time on point one there. But I just want to um, give you a lot of encouragement because this tabernacle has a lot of teachings in it. I've got a feeling we haven't even hit the tip of the iceberg of what it all meant. But um, I think it's been a, a, a great blessing to be in that section that teaches us a little bit more about the glory of God. Now, he's going to use certain people and we've already met them before, and I'm not going to say their names again because I botched them up good enough already a couple of times. I'm going to go to the third time. But God sovereignly, I've got to get this in, elects, chooses, and equips specific people to do what He wants. He doesn't have all of the two million people of Israel um, design this tabernacle. He's got a specific one in mind to be overall uh, in designing these artistic works, uh, the manner of workmanship there. Uh, he, he could be called the chief architect. And it's under God's divine will. God's building a project. And this one man here is chosen for this. And it's going to be out, carried out by very well-qualified men who are going to serve him in making this. And he's going to equip these men. He's already given them the skill. They are builders. They have a tremendous amount of knowledge to be able to do this. God gives them understanding with this, fills them with God's Spirit because this is a holy thing that they're doing. He takes that natural talent and has them doing these things. And that's what He's done with every one of us. We all have talents that would seem to be, okay, well, that's just a worldly thing, you know, whether you're really good at cooking or whether you're really good at making clothes or really good at gardening or you're really good at uh, singing, playing music instruments. Uh, well, I don't know, you just go on for ever and ever, you know. Uh, good technology. You know, uh, I, I think about uh, the people that help put our worship together. And um, I think it's nice to have some words up here that we can see, you know, when we're singing and this. Well, it takes somebody that knows how to do that to put that on there to present it that way. Then it takes somebody to be able to show that and produce it up there. Then it's going to take people to play those music instruments. Where did that all come from? Every one of those aspects come from God, no matter what you do. Everybody that's singing, everybody that's praising God and lifting your voices. If you guys didn't do that, what kind of worship would we have? We'd have some, and it's not meant for entertainment, but we all put it all together. Some of you have been praying real hard for this worship this week. Preparing Saturday night, just, just that this would be a good worship, that we'd honor God. We have different uh, praise things that we, we go back and forth with, you know, with our side one and side two or the leader. People put that together. We have, we have all those things that help us 
do that. And it's amazing when, when God's people put things together, then you have, you have worship. And then you come. And we're there. Did anybody design that on their own to do that? Not really. God is the one that puts that together. That's an amazing thing. And we center around His Word. It's, it's, it's an organization there that, that happens. And uh, it's a filling of God's Spirit that has to be to make it true and real. Worship in Spirit and truth, right? So God chose these men for a particular reason. There was a distinct act of the divine will that happened when they did this. And it's interesting. Bezalel's name. See, I have called by name Bezalel. What does his name mean? In the shadow of God. In the hot desert sun, God is there. God is protecting His people. Cloud by day, fire by night. In the hot desert sun, 110, 115, 120 degrees, maybe more. How do you survive in that? It's all God's Son. Yeah, He brought that and it's bringing it forth, but He's protecting them. That's what God does. In the shadow of God, Bezalel going to help build this place. How about the construction manager? I'll say his name again. <laughs> Aholiab. The father is my tent. <laughs> That's his name. He's helping build this together. He's, he's a manager of all the artisans. Hey, the father is my tent. What are we supposed to do next? Tent, the tabernacle. We uh, sometimes probably feel like the Lord is having to work more in spite of us rather than maybe through us sometimes. Uh, it may be true. And even if it were, God builds His tabernacle. He's still building it. It's going up. He's building His church, isn't He? He calls the people to be in that church. They are elect stones. Precious cornerstone is Christ. And then there are stones that He puts in there and He picks out out the very perfect ones that He wants. And you say, well, that stone, I don't know. I don't know if my stone really belongs in there. And what does He do? He does a work on each stone. Makes them perfect as the church comes together. And then He draws near to them in the tabernacle. That's what He's saying so much. He's, God's here, right? So He does this, the same with His new covenant people. So he's making a covenant with them. He does it with us. So, really, that's another thing. That's, that's really kind of like the first thing that we, we see in these first 11 verses. Now, verse 12. This is the Sabbath. It's interesting. After... This is all involved. He and, and dealing with creation. What did he do after creation? Well, he rested. So here's what he calls for. And the Lord 
spoke. This is the seventh time now he has said, and the Lord spoke to Moses from 25 to 32, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. Both the creation and the tabernacle both of those accounts end up with a discussion of the Sabbath as God had created. Look back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2. Verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended His work which He had done and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had done. And God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. Just an interesting sidelight. Can I throw in a freebie? This is just for fun. But in chapter 1, you see God mentioned almost constantly every verse, right? Well, that shouldn't be a surprise. That's Elohim. If you drop down to verse 4, this is the first time that this is mentioned in the Bible, His name. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord, capital letters, that's Yahweh, Yahweh God made the earth and the heavens. Or Jehovah. Names His name. He's personal. He creates And then he gives the history of this and his name is brought forth. And then you'll see Lord God in verse 4 again, in verse 7, verse 8, verse 9. This is the great covenant God. This is the one who relates to his people. That's his name. Anyway. The Sabbath is an outward marker of the covenant relationship that existed between God and Israel. Now we know that we don't call uh, the seventh day of the week, which is uh, would be Saturday. We don't necessarily worship on that day. But there's what he's really establishing here is there is rest that was to be done to enter the rest. And we know that if you become a when one becomes a Christian, they enter the rest of God. Uh, that's, that's in Christ. 
the original Sabbath day was back at creation. Called it seventh day there. But what he was setting forth is that the people would make that a holy day and that they would do it throughout their generations. And no matter how disobedient Israel was, they still had the Sabbath. Now they treated the Sabbath wrong. They worshipped wrong on the Sabbath. And by the time of Christ, we see the Pharisees, how they dealt with the Sabbath and put all the rules on it. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And even the tabernacle is not going to take precedence over the Sabbath though. We see here that they are not to continue doing their building on on a Sabbath. So Moses emphasizes in verse 13 and verse 14 and verse 16 about the emphasis that's to be put on the Sabbath. How important it is. It's a sign. And it's perpetual. By that, you will know that I am the Lord. This is a sign. When people have that particular day set aside, it is sacred. So there's a a, a sacred space, but there's a sacred time that is appointed by God for His worship. And that's what Moses is showing in Exodus 31. This is nothing new. People have already had this introduced, right? In the, the Ten Commandments. But now He multiplies what all that means. He says, look, I've just given you the commandments for the building of the tabernacle. You can't work on the Sabbath day even to build God's tabernacle. You're to take a time of rest even in the building. So there's some importance here. He doesn't want them profaning the Sabbath. Matter of fact, in verse 14 and in verse 15, we see a death penalty. If anybody breaks that Sabbath, God is going to... He demands that their life to be taken. I think he is definitely getting their attention here. You better keep on with this, right? Don't be treating it uh, like any regular day. This is a different day. This is a holy day. So anyway, Israel kept that seventh day. It became a mark of orthodoxy. But Jesus constantly ran into trouble with uh, the religious teachers of the day. And uh, he seemed not to be orthodoxy. But he was. It's just that they misunderstood and then brought in all the different legalisms that went with it. But it's an important day. And we know that we don't necessarily call our Sunday the Sabbath. Some do. But uh, regardless of that, we know that the early church really began to meet early in that first century on the first day of the week, which would be Sunday. And it celebrated the resurrection of our Lord. And of course, they met other times too, but that was an important day to do. And that's why that in Hebrews 12 it says, forsake not your assembling together with His people. Really important. So it's just as important. It's not that we're bound by any... It's uh, any uh, particular rules, regulation, laws that were built into the law that was made for Israel. But we see how important it is to have a time of worship where people congregate together. And it's very important. Sabbath was made for man. Sabbath was made to be a, a moment. A slot of sacred time. Isn't it a blessing to have that even as the church as we come together to do that? It's an, it's 
It's invigorating. It should reinvigorate us. It should restore us. When you walk out of here, you should be restored and renewed and realizing the grace that God has given us this morning. And we're reminded of forgiveness of sins, God's grace and what all He has done for us. We should be refreshed, shouldn't we? That's why it's so important to, to meet together. We should be revived spiritually. That's what the tabernacle was. It was a reviving and a constant doing. And that's what the, God did with His Sabbath here. It was a pledge. It was a marking. It was a blessing for the people. Not a hardship. Now we get to the very last verse. And he ties this up. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony. Tablets of stone. Written with the finger of God. He wrote it in person. This is the final word that's given on the instructions. God gives Moses stone tablets written with his own fingers. This emphasizes that God is the very source of the law that he gave to the people. The instructions that were given. He's the one that did it. He is the true source. He is the source of true worship and what right worship is. He is the one, isn't it? The finger of God did that. Isn't that that amazing? Moses could have written it down himself on some kind of, uh, what? Some kind of, that they had back then writing uh, to they didn't have the paper that we have today but it wouldn't have been very lasting to the people but here it's put in stone and it was to be lasting well it's still lasting isn't it we don't see those tablets but we do see who God is the permanency of it right it is a permanent Permanent commands. And these make God Himself the one who authorizes all these rituals even that He gave them. We saw some of these rituals and we go, wow, that sounds different. But, but he, he set forth an order of worship and of a way to do it and that the people would be able to uh, keep doing that throughout their generations. Well, this is about God being a God of order we know that in His order, something went very wrong in the book of Genesis. He had created... He made a creation that was perfect and beautiful. But God has another plan. And He brings order back to His people. Because of sin, we see... Everything affected in every way. We would love to have a perfect world. We would love to have a perfect life. A perfect house, a perfect car. There's always things breaking down. Things you always have to keep working on. Buying new. The body is not getting better. It's getting older. (laughs) And it reminds us of what happened. 
but of what is going to happen. And on one verse here, Second Corinthians five twenty one. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We're rescued from that fallen world. We are the tabernacle. And in every part of our life, our everyday walk, we know that we struggle with sinfulness. It's still there. It's a remnant of what happened. But our spiritual man, we have, he's renewed daily. God is restoring us right now. We're being transformed into the very image of God. It says in Second Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We are in a desert of sin and evil and wickedness and corruption, but we have order and beauty that is present in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's where we always look at. And so now we're going to prepare our hearts for next Sunday. Be praying that we could glorify God in uh, even more of a grander and glorious way than we've ever done before and present that person of Christ, His work, His resurrection, because all of this is good news that we have to look forward to. And so when you look at the tabernacle, does it make you think of the grand Creator, our God, who has going, who is going to put us back into a perfect creation that will even be better than what Adam experienced because we will be glorified. Is that good news? By the grace of God. Let's pray.